Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To come to Jesus Christ is not to just kind of adopt some views of him or to just kind of gradually clean your life up and go to church more. No, it is to turn around. Unless you're converted, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So he says, let me tell you about what's really important. True humility, childlike humility. And uh, it's very parallel, isn't it, to Jesus' statement. Truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 18 titled, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. When Joseph, who is a type of Christ, Joseph, the beloved of Jacob, his father, when his brethren sold him into slavery, slavery, sold him down to Egypt, they meant it for evil. They hated him. They were jealous of him. And they sold him into slavery, into Egypt. But when they came at the end of his life and were really fearful, now what's he going to do? If you remember that story, the last of Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter, verse 20, Joseph said, you meant it for evil. God caused it for good to preserve your very lives. And that's the truth of the matter. Joseph was down in Egypt and now was their savior down in Egypt. And of course, that's just a little picture of the event of all time. Man meant it for evil. Crucify, crucify. God meant it for good. God can use evil for good or I wouldn't be a Christian, you know. And uh, before I leave that, just look at, turn over to Acts 2 for just a moment, because we're seeing it illustrated here in Matthew, and I want us to just see it at its apex, I think. Verse, uh, when Peter stood up, the first real Christian proclamation on this side of the resurrection. In fact, after Jesus arose, he didn't send them out preaching, did he? He rose, and then he said, stay here until you receive the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving and he'll come. And when he comes, you're going to receive power. Well, he came on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and they had great opportunity, and we still do, to proclaim Jesus Christ. Well, Peter stood up the very first time, and just watch, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. The worst event there's a new song. I don't know if it's new, but it's new to me. The beautiful, terrible cross. It's the worst thing. Man murdered, killed God's son. You nailed him to a cross. But notice verse 23. He was delivered up 
by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It is also what we celebrate and rejoice in. Because it wasn't, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own authority. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus Christ came to give his life. Well, I say that is the illustration of the fact that God can and does use evil for good. Uh, And that's what I see here in Matthew 18, because they're asking the wrong question. They shouldn't be asking about who's the greatest. And we know they were discussing on the way which one of us is going to be the greatest. And I think, wow, until Pentecost, they seem to be plagued with this question. They're going to ask it again at the Last Supper when Jesus is busy saying, this is my body and this is my blood. You can go read about it in Matthew 22. They start disputing among themselves which one of them is the greatest. And lest we start saying they, we live on this side of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. What's our excuse? When we find ourselves jostling jostling for the highest position, even in ministry sometimes. In this ministry of proclaiming Christ, God's Son who gave himself for us, we can be worried about whose church is the biggest or who has the most fame or who sold the most books. I say, wow, God is patient, isn't he? He's patient. Well, anyway, they asked a bad question, but it gives Jesus an opportunity, and he takes it. And his answer, they came and said, which, who, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They kind of shielded it from, you know, like, which one of us? But he knew what they were talking about. And he uses an object lesson to teach them and us something that we need to hear. Verse 2, he called a child to himself and stood him in their midst. And said, truly I say to you, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Childlike humility. Far from sparring over who should be the greatest, Jesus is, and he calls a kid into the center of the room, you know, and where, they're, where they are, and he says, now let me tell you something. Unless, in verse 3, don't miss it. Truly I say to you, unless you're converted, unless you, this word is normally translated turned, or turned more often, turned around, to come to Jesus Christ is not to just kind of adopt some views of him or to just kind of gradually clean your life up and go to church more. No, it is to turn around. Unless you're converted, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, let me tell you about what's really important. True humility, childlike humility. And uh, it's very parallel, isn't it, to Jesus' statement Truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Who do you say that to? A religious man who was probably moral and upright by everybody else's standards. But he said, no, you know, you have to be born again. You've been born wrong. You must be born again. And now he says, you're not going to enter the kingdom unless you are born again. Uh, And now he says, unless you are converted And become like children, unless you're turned around. Children 
uh, here are a picture of believers. I mean, it is, we are called lots of different things in Scripture. Sheep, citizens of heaven, subjects of the kingdom, saints, but by far, more than any other term, we're called what? children. Children of promise, children of hope, children, dear children, beloved children, children, the highest statement, children of God. People mistakenly think everybody's a child of God. No, <laughs> you have to be born into God's family to become a child of God. And John's gospel starts that way. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children are humble, dependent, helpless. Uh, I was looking at a, a four-month-old uh, on Easter, one of my grandkids, you know, and they're pretty helpless at four months even. They can't do much. We thrill when they look around and smile, you know. But if they, they're, they're really in need. And so they're an apt picture of us. They're trusting. They're vulnerable. They don't have a lot of wisdom. Uh, children. And we need to turn like a child will and trust in the Lord and be humble. And it's a humbling thing to become a Christian. You have to turn loose of all that the world hangs on to. And humility is the opposite of pride. And pride, we tend to be, by nature, proud of our track record and thinking we're good enough for God. So we need this humility. God looks for humility, and true humility comes from God. Whoever then humbles himself, verse 4, as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You won't become a Christian without humility. You can't. You've got to humble yourself to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the way in is the way on. The Christian life isn't then uh, you come to Christ and then you start trying to climb the ladder of greatness. No. It's a walk of humility. And uh, to be identified with him, or let me put it this way, to place childlike faith in him that the world ridicules, is to be identified with him. Verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. A person's attitude toward Christ will often be seen in their attitude toward Christ's children. So it, it's said in overt ways sometimes when Jesus uh, confronted Saul of Tarsus in Acts he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He didn't say my people or my children, that he was persecuting Christians, just like they still are uh, around the world. But he said, why are you persecuting me? Whoever receives one such child, a child of God in my name, receives me. But, and now listen to this warning, verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it's better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to receive and respond to God's children, believers, and love them. In fact, that's what we're told, the great commandment, love me and love one another, okay? But he severely warns, 
whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, these little ones who believe in me, to stumble. Oh, it'd be better to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be thrown into the ocean. Wow. Uh, You see, when you become a child of God, you're the special object of his favor and his love. I don't know of a stronger love among humans than parental love. We care, don't we? For our kids, not like we should necessarily, but we are created in the image of God. People of all stripes care for their kids and love their kids. I got a phone call this week from a young father, and he's a man's man, you know. But he was telling me how much he loves his first child, who's several months old now. And he said, I can't put it into words. And I said, I I know what you mean. And he said, and then he used a word, and, and this is a guy that was a quarterback on the football team. You know, he's not like a mama's boy. But he used the word precious. And he said, it's just, he's so precious to me. And I said, yeah, it helps us understand, doesn't it? We're talking on the phone. I said, when you think about God giving his only son for us. God cares for you, Christian. And he says, whoever causes one of these little little ones who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better. Oh, man. Uh, Woe to the one who puts a stumbling block in a believer's life. It's a severe warning that is elicited out of Jesus even as he talks about it. Our Lord loves his own, and he doesn't want them stumbled. Uh, We... Humanly, we appreciate, don't we? Some of you have kids that are in a good classroom and you appreciate that good teacher or they're on a team where the coach really cares for them. And we tend to really appreciate those who care for our kids and build them up. And by the same token, someone who lays his hand on a child, even in a perverse world like ours, that says anything goes, there's still thankfully a little bit of protection And some of the lowest categories of perversion are those who would defile a child, cause a child to stumble. We understand this. Well, the Lord says, whoever stumbles, one of my little children who believe in me, whoa, whoa, to... Now, let's get practical. Look at verse 7. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come. I mean, this world is not friendly toward the gospel toward Christianity. You're going to have stumbling blocks in this world. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Woe to those who particularly cause God's children to stumble. Woe to false teachers. Woe to men who stand in pulpits and undermine and depreciate the Word of God and cause God's children to wonder whether it's trustworthy. Whoa. Jesus had some of his strongest words for that kind of behavior. Woe to those who lead Christians astray, morally or doctrinally. Be real careful about this and listen to what Jesus is saying. I mean, woe to those who are just half-hearted believers, perhaps, who kind of drag other believers further from Christ instead of closer to Christ. Let me just ask you, 
Is your influence on God's people drawing them closer to Jesus or further away? It's a good question to ask because he takes this ill-advised question and teaches all of us something we need to hear. Well, verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the hell of fire. You know, Jesus has said these sorts of things all the way through. Way back, turn back to chapter 5. Early in his ministry, chapter 5, at the Sermon on the Mount, we heard him say very similarly, and he's speaking about moral sin, particularly adultery. Verse 27, you've heard that it said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. It's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. And we saw when we, talked, when we looked at that, Jesus is not uh, advocating self-mutilation. Uh, he's raising the bar on holiness and calling sin out for what it is. You've maybe kept yourself, he said. You've heard it said, oh, I, I haven't committed adultery. He said, but I tell you, if you even look on a woman and lust after her, you're as guilty. You're, and he brings, the, he brings it to the issue of the heart, okay? Well, then he makes this statement, just like we see in, in Matthew 18. And, and if your eye causes you to stumble, cut it out. Pluck it out. Well, now he's not advocating plucking your eye out literally. Because that's not the issue, is it? You can pluck an eye out and still what? Lust after a woman. You can pluck them both out. The issue is a heart issue. But he is saying this, don't minimize sin. It's serious. And so Jesus had this way of speaking all the way through his ministry. And by the way, just as a sidebar, it's a beautiful thing to see that Jesus' message stays coherent and consistent. And it's a blessed thing to say the same things you said at the end of your life in ministering to other people as you say in the beginning of your ministry. And if you've become a Christian, you're ministering now. It's not the clergy and the lay people. It's all of us are to be equipped to minister. And you can be sure that your message will stay the same and that you'll be still saying what you said early on if you say what the Bible says. But today, and I'm saying this as kind of a sidebar to this whole thing, I find churches feeling the need to reinvent themselves. <laughs> and Christians saying, oh, that doesn't work today. we got to change our message. And I say, be careful. Be careful. God's word doesn't change. And Jesus didn't change what he said. Well, as I come back to Matthew 18, uh, It'd be better to cut anything out of your life than to let it cause you to stumble is what he's getting at. And so anything that might 
stumble you. And even as I think about false teachers, don't, don't hang around false teaching. Even as I think about the sophistication of much of what calls itself Christianity that kind of looks down its eye, you know, nose at, at childlike faith. That's so simplistic. Don't find yourself in that camp. Cut it out. Get out of there. Christ loves childlike faith. In fact, he said, you got to become like a child. You've got to be converted and become like a child to even enter the kingdom. That's the way in, and that's the way on. Continue to walk in humility. Better to deny yourself uh, the acclaim of man than to get caught up in the kind of things that have stumbled many. And you say, are you sure? Well, you just look around. Doesn't see, it doesn't take long to see that many Christians get stumbled by trying to please man in this world rather than keeping their eyes on who we really follow, the one who died on the cross for us. See that you do not despise, verse 10, one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of the Father who is in heaven. You know, I hear people and people ask me sometimes, do you, do you believe in guardian angels, you know, and that sort of thing. And I say, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I will tell you this. It seems to me as I look at the context here when Jesus says this, he says, don't despise these childlike little ones. For I tell you, their angels in heaven continually behold the face of the Father who's in heaven. Angels, Hebrews 1 tells us, are our servants. They watch over us. And they have access to the Father. It's a great place to be in God's family. There's no higher place to be, to be a child of God, to be the special object of his care, to where he even uses angels to protect us and watch over us and serve us, if you will. Uh, you can see how Jesus took this question about greatness and turned it on its head, really. And gives us great instruction, great practical instruction. Now, we're out of time, so I'll just say this. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again, unless you turn and are converted. And if today these things are hitting home and you say, I need Christ, you tell him so. Turn to him. Turn around. You're turning around from your sin and you turn to him and embrace him. You're turning around from your pride and where you're thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person, I'm okay. No, you turn around and you say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And you embrace the one who died and rose again for you. And then those of you who know him, the way in is the way on. A pathway of walking in humility. Uh, being careful not to stumble his little ones. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Who Then is Greatest in the Kingdom of Heaven? A message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. 
You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 AM. It's best to check the 800 AM program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Did you know Abide in the Word is available every day on Facebook? Well, right along with our daily podcast on iTunes and Google Play, our daily messages are posted to Facebook as well. You can find them at facebook.com slash abide in the word. We're grateful that you've joined us today to listen to this broadcast. If you'd like to hear more on your own schedule or would like to download any past message or subscribe to our podcast, just head over to our website at abideintheword.us. Now, before we end our time today, Let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. If your brother comes to you, if your sister comes to you and points out a sin, make it your first response to listen, not to defend, to rationalize, or what I've seen many, many times, turn it back around on the other person. Be willing to hear what your brother, you don't have to agree, but listen. I would say it is still kind of sad to think that Christians, their first response many times is not to listen, but to put up barriers and not hear. And it's sad, it's tragic. I've been around the block a long enough time to know that those who don't listen, they get harder and harder oftentimes. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Sin in the Family. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.